Awesome. Thank you, ladies. It's good uh, to worship in person with y'all. So everyone else, you look forward to next week. That's really good. Uh, today, we're going to be reading uh, Romans 4. Uh, so if you want, turn uh, in your Bible to Romans 4. I think it'll be really great for you to actually do that. I know I'm going to read it, and so you'll be like, oh, I got that download because I heard the words. But actually today, because it's a lot of verses, I'm going to be summarizing huge chunks of it. And so if you don't read it with me, uh, you'll probably miss out on the fact uh, or miss out on being able to check if what I'm saying is actually true, that sort of thing. And I think it'll mean more to you if you have the words in front of you. And so that's Romans chapter 4. Also, uh, today, if you want, you can at any point, I don't know if you knew this, you can push the space bar uh, on Zoom and it unmutes you just for a moment and you can say things like amen or that's true or that's right. Uh, you don't have to just be sitting amen. there muted. There you go. I was about to just do an experiment, but Matt's all over it. Uh, and if you talk, I'll look down at the ground because that's where your voice will come from. Uh, so there it is. Uh, so Romans chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read all of it right now. This is what it says. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. I know that from someone who didn't get paid once. So it's like, yeah, when I work, I'm supposed to be obligated. That's just an aside. Verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under that circum circumstances, was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world and through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the do law are a, heirs, uh, uh, faith a, means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be a guarantee to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have, faith, have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were also written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Amen. Amen. Great passage on faith, circumcision, so many fun things. But this is where I'm going to start. We're all messed up. We kind of should probably get that at this point in our study in Romans, unless you're just now joining us and you skip this whole part where we talk about we're all out for wrath. Uh, we're all even experiencing the ongoing reality of wrath today. Uh, but here is the good, good stuff. It's just a name, Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. And see, this is what Romans has been getting at all of this time. That we were all hauled out of that shipwreck that is the world that's being destroyed. We're all purchased out of the bondage of sin and brokenness. We're all clothed now in these royal garments and put on display for the whole world to see. It's as if God has plucked me, I'll just speak for myself, and put me on display. And he says, here's Brad, who was once in the belly of despair, who was on a course to just become very expensive compost six feet below ground. But now, but now he's the son of a king. He's the treasure of heaven who's received every spiritual blessing. He's loved, he's alive, his inheritance is the world. Now, how did I get there? These words, in Jesus. See, Jesus takes off of his royal garments, he surrenders the blessings of heaven, and he enters into the belly of despair first. He enters the tomb where dead things go to decompose, but he breaks through death. He tramples on the eternal chains of bondage as if it was some sort of temporary finish line ribbon. He breaks right through it. He buys the whole world with his life. He turns a shipwrecked, decaying world into a garden city, a city where there's a river flowing through it that's of life and life abundant. Jesus conquers the grave. He conquers sin. He conquers even systemic evil. He's victorious. He's like Muhammad Ali who's dancing over Joe Frazier, but instead of uh, dancing over some boxer, Jesus is dancing over the powers of all darkness and crookedness of sin, and he's speaking. Jesus, amen. Jesus, amen, there you go. Jesus didn't crawl into the resurrection either. He danced to it. He wasn't a worn-out marathoner that I love watching those YouTube videos of people finishing a race, mostly because I'll never do it, but watching them like fall over themselves. 
Jesus wasn't like that, a worn out marathoner at the finish line. No, on Easter morning, he came out of the grave as an earthquake. He was a conqueror. He was victorious. He wasn't weakened by it. It was with power. And now, because of all of this, everyone who believes is declared righteous, which in normal language means everyone who believes is in a whole good relationship with God. But it also says we're justified, which again, in just normal words, means that we're brought into the winner's circle. We're victorious. And that's what God's proclamation over you is. You are victorious. Your whole life, the whole human history of the world was bent towards defeat and death. But through Jesus, we're given victory. And now all of human history is bent and projected towards abundant life and wholeness. We're supposed to have brokenness, but instead we're given wholeness. We're supposed to be apart from God, walking distant lands as far as we can from him, but instead, no matter what we do, we end up with God. Now with that wholeness, we're sent out to live the law because Jesus has already completed the law for us. From that belief and from that righteousness, we now walk in it. That's what that whole section is about circumcision. Abraham didn't do what God said to become righteous, but instead, having already believed, he then does what God tells him to do. And the same is true for us. In freedom, because now we're right and we're victorious, we love God and love our neighbor. And there's a lot more on this, starting in Romans 8 and Romans 12, but for now, this is what you need to know. We are whole. We are free to live the lives we were meant to live. And that's all Jesus. And that's the news. All is needed and all that's required is belief. And that, that belief is for everyone. It doesn't matter what kind of family you're from, your nationality, your heritage, your history, your language. Everyone who believes is a recipient of that good news. And so Abraham, biblically speaking, is the faith expert. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's verse 3, but that's just a straight quotation from the book of Genesis. Abraham is our example, but he's also our forerunner. He believed. Verses 18 to 21, I just love these verses. It says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed, so became a father of many nations. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, believing, fully persuaded, that God had the power to do what he had promised. In these verses, we see that he faced the reality of his mortal life. Against all hope, the promise that he was waiting for was to have a family, to begin a tribe that would become a nation. And he faces the fact that he himself, in his own body, in his decaying humanity, there's no hope for that. And yet, he believed that God had the power to do what God had promised. And he had been persuaded through the actions of God to believe 
I think that's, we often put faith and persuasion in separate camps entirely, but instead what we see in this passage is that it's the persuasion of seeing the world and seeing how it operates and seeing how God operates in it that we are persuaded even to belief and a strengthening of our faith. In faith, in hope, he walked into righteousness. Or in other words, he walked into justification and victory. And so everyone who follows in Abraham's footsteps gets that same deal. Romans 1, or Romans 21 and 25 in our passage today, 4, 21, 25 says this. It says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, this is for us. For us who have been persuaded in the power of God to keep his promises, to bring life from dead, we who believe through that persuasion. For those of us who against all hope walk in faith. This is fantastic news, not just for Abraham, not just for the early Christians, not just for the people of Rome, not just for us as Christians today. This is incredible news for everyone. Through belief, righteousness and victor victory and wholeness can come. Now, that's all great news. I heard some amens, which is fantastic. It's like a glass of cold water in the middle of a desert for a whole year. Uh, but this belief part, I think, is what's the true challenge and agony. This faith part, this against all hope, in hope, believed. What is this biblical belief or faith that he's talking about? Because that's just a very broad and general word, uh, belief. Uh, it's most commonly used now, I think, in movies designed to train us that Santa Claus is real. Uh, or if we believe in fairies, Tinkerbell doesn't die, right? You guys remember that from the book we listened to. But belief in the Bible is a little bit different. There's three aspects to it. And we see it in this passage, but we see it through the whole of Scripture. One is, belief is, in the Bible, to know that there is a greater reality than how we feel or how things are going. That belief is to, to a certainty a knowledge that there is something far bigger at play and going on than what we can see or what we can feel today. I think uh, the story of Moses after he's led his people out of uh, bondage in Egypt and, and they're all worshiping God on the shores of the river and then they, they go uh, and Moses goes up to this mountain and there's this huge cloud and storm and lightning and fire where God is actually giving his words, giving his instructions to the people directly to Moses. And down below there's these people who've, who've wandered through the, the Red Sea and they're, now they're in the desert and they begin to think, Moses has been gone for a while. Maybe we're out here alone. Maybe nothing is going to work out. Maybe we're just going to die here. 
and kind of frantically thinking we need something to cling to, some sort of hope to hold on to because we don't know when Moses is coming back and now we're going to starve and die of thirst. And so they throw their gold in, out comes a calf, it's pretty amazing, and then Aaron says, hey, this is the God who rescued you, and they begin to worship him. Then Moses comes down and he sees what's happening and he calls them. He says, these stiff-necked people. Now, I camped last week, just one night. It was supposed to be four nights, but it was freezing. And I woke up with an incredibly stiff-necked. And so is what Moses saying here is, hey, like these people have a crink in their neck? No, he's talking about something that they would have known a lot about as people who were slaves, leading teams of ox who would carry huge boulders and dirt and materials as they built cities and temples for Pharaoh. What, they would, what is true about an ox is wherever the ox's head goes, so does everything else. And so they would use whips and you know, ropes and everything to turn the heads of the ox to drive everything else. But every now and then there'd be these ox that would not turn their heads. They refused to look into the direction of where they should go. And so when Moses comes down the mountain and he says, these people are stiff-necked, he's saying all they had to do was look in the right direction. Deciding where we look when life is shaking us out of control, that is the battle of belief. Will we turn to arguments or things that we can make with human hands? Will we even spiritualize things? This thing is a lifesaver. Our country's been redeemed. Uh, we're walking into new life. These are all things that we're definitely going to hear in the next few days. I've even heard from my own mouth say this. This app is a lifesaver. This app is a lifesaver. It just orders food. <laughs> But all I know is this, is it's hard to believe in the power of God when I look to the power of humans and the things I can make. So belief is watching for the activity of God in the ordinary pain of life. Thank you. (laughs) Secondly, belief is to allow God to persuade us in his promises. To, to allow God to actually speak and have a voice in all of the things and all of the issues and all the agonies of life. You cannot have a belief in God when he is uh, shut out of the conversation entirely. It also reminds me of the whole history of Elijah who you know, wins this great uh, contest with the prophets of Baal, but then is a person on the run. He runs into the desert. He sits underneath a tree. He begins to say things like, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's talking about the stiff-necked people. And he says, I just want to die. It would have been better if I'd never been born. Side note, that is a common phrase of the people who walk in faith. There comes to a point where they will all say, it would have been better if I hadn't been alive, if, I hadn't even, if God hadn't even spoken to me to begin with. And yet, Elijah follows God up to this mountain, and he sits in a cave, and he waits to hear God speak into his life again. There's a big storm, God doesn't speak. Fire, God doesn't speak. Earthquake, God doesn't speak. And then finally, there's a whisper at the mouth of the cave, and Moses comes out and he hears, or Elijah comes out and he hears the voice and the words of God. 
the belief typified in the scriptures is not a knowing and an understanding of all things related to God or an unwavering confidence even that our lives will be good. But belief in the scriptures is an attuning of our hearts to the whisper of God, like, an, like a musician who tunes their instrument to the right notes. Belief is tuning our hearts to the voice and the whisper of God. Belief is an expectation that God can speak into our moment. Belief is demonstrated through listening and hearing. Then the last aspect of belief is that belief uh, is to trust in his power that God is able even when all hope is gone. I, um, I don't think I'm a morbid person, but I often will think about how I will feel and what kind of faith I will have when I'm dying. Uh, maybe that'll be, uh, I kind of envision it's either, it's either in a hospital and I'm really young or in a, it's in a hospital and I'm, I'm really old, but I'm sure it could be on the side of the road or the bottom of a cliff or something like that. But I wonder when I get to that point, and I, <laughs> that is morbid? Okay. Uh, so a little morbid. So I wonder though, in that moment, when I look back, I'm certain that, that there will be parts of my life that have not been completed like I would want them to be. There's going to be parts of my story that I had anticipated fulfilling that there won't be. There'll be dreams that have not been accomplished. There'll be possessions I never owned, experiences I never went on. I'll look around the world, I'm pretty sure, and see a brokenness that continues. The brokenness that I see now will probably be prevalent then too. And as I die and I take my last breath, and I know that might be morbid, I wonder if I will have the belief that God's story can transcend my story. The end of hope and all we can see is actually the beginning of an honest conversation with a God that we cannot see. That's what it means when it says, against all hope, in hope believed. When Abraham felt like, there's no way I'm having a child now, in hope he believed. Belief in Jesus is a subscription to a story that, beyond, that bends beyond our own story beyond our own lives, to believe that there's so much more than our 60, 20, 80 years that we have on earth. So that's belief, to trust in the power of God, to trust in the, the persuasion of God to speak to us, to trust uh, in the greater reality, to know that there's a greater reality beyond ours. And now you might be asking, maybe if you're like me, how much belief do I need? How much of that? To what level? To what extent? Uh, I could go on about this for a long time, uh, pouring out words after words after words about this. But I think the best story is of Peter, who walked on water. Uh, in the beginning, Jesus is walking towards them. And Peter, with his friends and his disciples on the boat, sees Jesus walking their way. 
And instinctively, Peter, having seen Jesus, gets out of the boat and begins walking towards Jesus. It's this incredible moment where he just thinks, he's the only one I want to be with. I'm going to walk towards him. It'd be so beautiful if the story ended there. It'd be so inspirational, right? Like, that's all we need to do is get out of the boat and walk towards Jesus. But then Matthew tells us that he loses confidence, which is really this full assurance. He begins to doubt. Matthew tells us, pulls it out straight up, and it's for us for eternity to know. Peter was afraid. And then he began to sink. No longer walking on the water with Jesus, he falls down into the water. But this is the moment of true belief because this is what he does. He cries out and he screams and he yells, Jesus, save me. How much faith, what kind of faith, how strong of a faith and belief do we need? We need that kind of belief and faith where maybe for us as Christians, we've walked a little bit towards Jesus and now we're beginning to sink and fall. But the only kind of belief and faith that Jesus is looking for is for someone and for us to cry out in our despair, Jesus, save me. It's telling because Peter doesn't grab for the boat. He doesn't start to swim. I can't imagine him not knowing how to swim as a sailor, but maybe that's true. But he just says, Jesus, save me. Like the father with the son who is uh, constantly sick says, I believe Jesus, help my unbelief. In desperation, when we see that there is no more hope, we cry out for salvation for God. And hopefully that's where you're at at this point in Romans. To have a little type of faith, which is what Jesus describes it afterwards. He says, Peter, you have little faith. But we shouldn't think that Jesus is mocking or belittling him because later on, Jesus will hold up a little mustard seed and said, this kind of faith moves mountains. Do you have just a little bit of faith that there's a greater reality that God has entered this world through Jesus? Do you have just a little tiny bit of faith in the words of God through Jesus that persuades us when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished? Do you believe in the promise and the power of God through Jesus when he is raised to abundant life? And through that belief, you are welcomed into the winner's circle, the greatest thing you could ever experience, and it's a complete gift, not something that you've earned through conjuring up some intellectual ascent, but something that is earned through Jesus's life and death and then just given straight to you. And this is how we live in the power of resurrection. This is how we make him known to those around us. It's only in this way. It's only through belief first. Circumcision comes later. I'm just kidding. Uh, This is the kind of belief that we need. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for this incredible good news. Uh, We pray for a belief and a stirred heart to know in a reality greater than ours. To know in a reality greater than a pandemic, greater than economic uncertainty, greater than what we can see or feel today. 
God, create that belief in us as a church. God, we pray for a belief uh, that allows you to persuade our hearts. I feel like all of us as a people need to hear your words and your persuasion towards belief, that your spirit would do that work in us. God, I pray desperately too that we would be a kind of people that looks beyond our own lifespan, that has a deep understanding that your story is the only story.